today. If you would like to turn to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 through 27, that is the scripture that we will be focusing on today. Uh, Allow me to read that to you. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 through 27. It was by faith that Moses when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead to his great reward. And it was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He kept right on going because he kept his eyes on the one who is invisible. We're going through Hebrews and talking about trusting God. And today we're going to be discussing Moses' life and some choices that we made. Let's begin with prayer. Lord God, we thank you for this time to focus on your word. We thank you for Moses. As an example to us, we thank you for this, this scripture that we will be reviewing today. God, apply it to our hearts and our souls. Lord, and help us to use it for the greater of your kingdom. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, identity is our first point today. Choose your identity. Identity is kind of a big deal. There are a lot of things that we have to identify in life. One of the little things in life that sometimes I struggle with identifying, and maybe you can uh, share this with me, uh, maybe you would agree, but when you're in the shower and you're washing your hair, and you got everything sudsed up, and, and, and you start to rinse it out, you're trying to get your shower done quickly, because you've got other things to do, and I, Les points out, I only have half a head of hair to wash, but, uh, you know, it's time to reach for the conditioner, um, and you know what, some companies make the conditioner and the shampoo um, different colors, at least one company, the bottle is light on the shampoo and and the conditioner is is dark but most companies do not most companies the bottles are the exact same all the words and there at the very bottom at the very bottom little bitty letters it says conditioner or it says shampoo so when you're all sudsed up and, and one eye is covered with soap and the other eye is half open and you need some more shampoo or it's time for the conditioner and you're trying to figure out you know which one and you're looking through and it says suave, moisturizing, aloe vera, lily infused, all this nonsense and you're trying to find oh, which one is it. Okay, whatever, I think that's where I left it and it's the wrong one if there was just better identification. Identification is so important in our lives. This is something that we struggle with. If there's someone that is hurting, that is lost, and they need a Christian to find that hope. Maybe the sin has covered their eyes and and they're walking through life with only half an eye to see with and they're trying to find someone to show them hope. 
is your identity well-based and visible so that others can find? Now, I'm not saying that we need to uh, wear a t-shirt saying that you're a Christian all the time, but our identity is a big deal. Choose your identity. Moses, he was a Hebrew baby. As all Hebrew babies, he would have been circumcised on his eighth day. Now this was a definite sign that you were a Hebrew. It was a sign of the everlasting covenant between God and Abraham. Genesis 17 uh, Verse 11 tells us about this covenant through which the blessing was passed down through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and their descendants after that. Now in our culture, we keep things like that private. So you may wonder uh, how uh, the Egyptians would have known, how Moses would have known that he was different from the other Egyptians, or or how they would have, uh, he would have noticed that he was different. When I was in South Korea, they had a place called a jimjilbong in every community. It's a public bathhouse. Again, we don't have those in America. Um, that's not a cultural thing here. But in these uh, public bathhouses in South Korea, you would go in there and you would take showers in a one big room and you would uh, you know, soak in a hot tub or do a steam bath and you would just do it all together and it wasn't a big deal. Now, public bathhouses were not only something that was uh, typical in ancient culture, but that was the way that you bathed. It was no secret that Moses was a Hebrew. Perhaps Moses also had other physical features that hinted at his ethnic heritage. But either way, it seems clear that he was accepted as an Egyptian. Oh, he grew up in in Pharaoh's household. He was educated in the Egyptian language, in the customs and in the religion. He could have been in line to become the next Pharaoh in Egypt which would have been a divine mediator between man and God. A man-god, if you will. This is how they seen their pharaohs. And Moses was in line for this. He lived in luxury. He enjoyed a privileged status and wielded power. But when he was older, Moses grew up Something caused him to choose to identify himself with the Hebrew people instead of the Egyptians. He knew his Hebrew roots. His birth mother would have cared for him until he was around three years old. Remember when Pharaoh's daughter found Moses in his little basket, his little ark in the Nile River? Uh, Miriam, Moses' sister, was right there to offer assistance in finding her wet nurse to take care of baby Moses. How kind of God that he would allow Moses' mama to spend three more years with her little baby boy 
that she thought she was going to have to say goodbye to when he was only three months old. In those years, those three years that that she had him, I bet she sang him Hebrew songs. I bet she told him Hebrew stories. His sister and his brother Aaron probably played with him, shared the same toys. Even after he went to live in Pharaoh's house, I'm sure his family found ways to stay in contact with him. Those early years of nurturing, those first three years, are critical to the foundation of a person's formation. You know the faithful proverb that we love so much. Chapter 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. It's one of my favorites. Now you can bet that Moses' parents prayed for him. So Moses grew up living as an Egyptian, but when he became an adult... He he chose to identify with God's people. Exodus chapter 2 verse 11 says, Many years later when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people. His own people, the Hebrews. When we read Hebrews chapter 11 uh, verse 24 that Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, it seems that he was perhaps ungrateful to this woman who saved his life and took him in as her own. But if we take a step back from that emotionally charged reaction that we that we tend to have when he said when it says you refuse to be called the child of Pharaoh's daughter, uh, we uh, remember to keep the scripture in line with the upper story. Remember the upper story, the the larger story, the story that takes into consideration the perspective of God and his large story of redemption. When we do that, we discover that the principle that God is trying to communicate to us is that God wants us to find our identity in Christ first and foremost first identity that we have is in Jesus. Yes, we are identified by our last names. We are identified as Americans. We are identified through our jobs and uh, sometimes our appearance and our age. But those are only partial identities. And they're based on circumstance, geography, and our activities. Some of those identities might even change. For instance, if, if you're, you're a young lady, then your last name might change when you get married. Uh, your job might change. Your residence might change. There are other things though, that are unchangeable because they are part of your DNA. That's how God created you. Like your skin color, your gender, your age, 
well, your age changes. But you can't do anything about that. You can't change the fact that it changes. Your truest identity, though, is your spiritual identity. Your body will die, and all those things that we listed before will no longer define you. Then, what you will be left with for eternity, for everlasting, is your spirit. And you need to choose your spiritual identity. Choose this. Jesus teaches about this in Luke chapter 14, verse 26. He says, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple even your own life. And then uh, chapter 14, verse 28 says, but don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Don't begin until you've counted the cost. At first glance, this statement is shocking. Kind of like Moses refusing to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And if we take this out of context, when Jesus says you must, by comparison, hate your father and mother, it, it seems like Jesus is a hater. But we know from many, many other places where Jesus speaks and he teaches We know that he did not mean for you to literally hate your family. Jesus taught that you must honor your father and mother. He commanded us to love our brothers and sisters and to love one another. The point Jesus is making here is that he comes first above all else. He wants people to put all their hope in him, not their genealogy, not their status in the community, not in their material wealth, which they saw as directly tied to God's blessing when uh, the folks that Jesus is talking to here not put their hope in that, but completely in Jesus. When Jesus... uh, teaching these things in Luke chapter 14. He was talking to uh, people that, boy, when they uh, had a lot of things, when they were rich, they felt like they just uh, obviously have been accepted and approved by God and identified as his chosen people, his elect people. But Jesus is not concerned with how much money you have or if you've come from the right family, or if you have influence in the community. He's asking, if you had nothing else, and if if Jesus was the only reward you got, and if Jesus was the only relationship you could have, would you choose him? 
He asks, will you identify with me so completely that I am the only thing that defines you? Are you willing to become transformed into the image of Jesus? Moses chose to identify himself with God's people. But perhaps he wasn't aware of the cost. Exodus chapter 2, verse 11 through 15. Many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching him, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. The next day, when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend? Moses said to the one who had started the fight. The man replied, Who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses was afraid, thinking, Everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh had heard uh, what had happened, and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. Moses identified with the Hebrews. He called them his own people. We get the idea that Moses felt some sort of responsibility to help them since he was concerned about how hard they were forced to work. And he took revenge on the Egyptian who was mistreating one of his fellow Hebrews. There's even some foreshadowing when he tries to intervene between these two Hebrews who are fighting, and they respond, Who appointed you to be our prince and our judge? I think Moses may have had a bit of a savior complex. Or maybe he had survivor's guilt. He probably wondered why he had been saved when so many other baby boys had been killed. Perhaps he felt God's calling on his life, but didn't understand God's full plan. For whatever reason, he tried to take matters into his own hands and work things out in his own strength. That's a common mistake, people have it's never a good idea to try to accomplish God's will in our own wisdom and with our own strength Abraham fell into that trap and we see the issues that that caused issues that are still playing out today between different Arab groups in choosing to put our identity in Christ though we need to learn to be patient enough to act in God's character, and in his timing. Moses jumps the gun. God's plan was to use him to deliver the Hebrew people, but God's plan always involves preparation. That preparation is getting to know him, to know his voice, and to become obedient to his commands. If a leader attempts to accomplish their calling Without first building a personal relationship with God, it usually leads to an abuse of power. Moses 
He knew of God, but he hadn't come to know God yet. He was ready to be a hero, but did he know what it would cost him to choose to be used by God? Moses was used to a life of luxury and security. Did he count the cost? Was he prepared for 40 years in the desert? God may have had a different route in mind at first, but he was working with humans who have free will. So oftentimes, the long way around is how it works out. And it usually involves some suffering. This brings us to our second point. Choose your suffering. Choose your suffering. Now, Suffering, you think we have to choose suffering? You know, if I had a choice, I would say I don't want any suffering. None. Is that an option? That's not an option. Not really. Because if we're to have, uh, if we're to have eternal life in God's kingdom, then Scripture tells us that there will be suffering in this world. You know that joy comes in the morning. What that means is so powerful. Have you ever had a bad night? Maybe you were awake all night. Maybe you had something horrible on your mind. Maybe you was sick and you just couldn't wait until the morning to get there. It just couldn't come soon enough. One time when I was at a rendezvous, this uh, specific rendezvous was called a pack-in, and we were to take all of our historical, uh, everything that we had that was period correct, so we couldn't wear anything, and nothing we had could be newer than 1830. And so we had to go into the forest and spend uh, a night out in the forest. It was July, and it was extremely hot, And so I had my gear, which is very minimal. It consisted of a wool blanket and my flintlock rifle and my bag and my breech cloth. And and I didn't have a whole lot of clothes on because it was hot. And the place that we chose to bed down that night was a place with a bunch of leaves. Really nice and soft. We laid down and it was probably still 90 degrees um, at 10 o'clock at night. The only problem was in those leaves were those little baby seed ticks. Lots of them. Remember, I have on a breech cloth and leggings, so there's plenty of access to all parts. They were crawling everywhere, and all I had was a wool blanket. And so I wrapped up inside that wool blanket as tight as I possibly could and was sweating because it was so ridiculously hot, and my whole skin was crawling. That night was so long. I wanted for the morning to come because joy would come in the morning. In the morning time, when it was light, I could go back to the main part of Canton and say, look, I did it. I stayed the night in the woods with my historical gear. Now I need to take a shower. I need to go home or I need to do something to get all of this off of me. You know, in the morning wouldn't be joy 
if there wasn't suffering during the night, choose your suffering. Hebrews chapter 11 seems to say that Moses did count the cost. He chose to share the oppression of his people over the fleeting pleasures of sin, and he chose to suffer for the sake of Christ rather than own the treasures of Egypt. The Hebrew writer is writing from hindsight, which is a lot clearer than the limited vision that we have during an experience. You may have heard in the situation of um, eyewitness accounts when when they are reviewing a crime scene, the investigators will ask the people what they saw and they will ask uh, them to explain it in detail. And the discrepancies between one person's eyewitness and another person's eyewitness is uh, great. There's a lot of discrepancies there. And it turns out that it's just hard when you've been there right then and have to explain what happened. It's hard for you to remember all of the specific details. I'm not sure at this time, the time when Moses killed the Egyptian, if he was planning to share the oppression of his people or if he was thinking of giving up his life in Egypt. I do think that he was acting in faith, though. I think he believed himself to be some kind of deliverer of the Hebrews, but I don't think that he was foreseeing all of the consequences of his actions. He saw his people being mistreated, and he knew that they needed, that he needed to do something about it, so he acted. He acted, and then he ran. And as he ran... I think he began to realize his choice to suffer with his people. He could have gone back to Egypt. He could have gone back and begged Pharaoh's daughter to intercede for him. Well, she'd saved him, saved his life once before, so she could probably have gotten him off the hook if he would just go back and be a good Egyptian. But he chose to keep going to be a shepherd in a foreign land. He chose to leave behind his old life with its privileges, with his his luxuries and its security. This chapter in Hebrews says he chose to suffer for the sake of Christ instead of gain the treasures of the world because he was looking forward to his great reward. What reward? What reward is this? It is the blessing, the promise of a Redeemer, the Savior that would come from the descendants of the Hebrews who would set all the wrongs in the world right. The only one who could save him from that mess, he made made it out of his life the the only one who could save him from the mess that he made of his life after he killed the Egyptian. Moses understood in his heart the lesson that Jesus taught in Mark chapter 8. Jesus says, What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose 
your own soul. Is anything worth more than your soul? God uses Moses as an example in the Old Testament of what the Messiah would look like. Not a perfect example, but an example nonetheless. Acts chapter 3, verse 22. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. In this verse, Peter affirms that Jesus is who Moses is speaking of in the verse in Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 15 which says, Moses continued, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. How is Jesus like Moses? Or how is Moses like Jesus? Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 through 9. In humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interests of the others in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Jesus left the riches of heaven when he stepped down from the throne. He lowered his position and withheld his power in order to identify with humanity, with his people. He suffered and was treated harshly and was killed. Christ chose to suffer those things because of the joy set before him. Moses was able to look forward to his reward because he had faith that the God of Abraham... Isaac and Jacob was faithful. We know the rest of the story. God used 40 years in the desert to prepare Moses and then he used him to deliver his people just like he promised he would. Now when when I was in Jerusalem, we walked down a road called the Via Della Rosa. It's the path that Jesus took carrying his cross to the crucifixion site is referred to as the way of suffering. Jesus said, in this world, you will have troubles. We will suffer in this life. 1 Peter 5.10 tells us of this suffering. Suffering is a part of life. But what is the way that you will choose to suffer? You can suffer for the sake of sin. Sin offers fleeting pleasures, 
But the pleasure soon ends and its wages of death wreak havoc on the life of the sinner and those around them. Will you choose to suffer for the fleeting pleasure of sin? Or will you suffer for the sake of Christ? To suffer for the sake of Christ, you must pick up your cross and follow after him. You must give up the treasures of this world. You must die to yourself and your former way of life. If you choose this way of suffering, suffering for the sake of Christ, you can do it for the joy set before you. Looking forward to your great reward, sharing in the glory of Christ and the riches of his eternal inheritance. Our third point for today is choose your direction. Choose your direction. And I'm just going to throw in there real quick that it should be forward. The direction you choose should be going forward. I recently uh, just was was able to buy a, a motorcycle that I don't have to work on all the time. I'm so excited about it. I've been riding it uh, quite a bit. Uh, the thing about this motorcycle is th- that it's fairly big, and uh, it's a lot heavier than I am. And you know the thing about a motorcycle is most of them don't have a, rever- a reverse. They only go forwards. So this is a good reminder for us. When you, when you are driving a motorcycle and you park it, you always park it to aim your trajectory in a forward position when you go. When I brought my motorcycle home, uh, I have a dog who likes to chew on everything. This motorcycle is probably the thing that I, I've never spent more money on anything in my life. And not that I spend a lot of mo- money on this motorcycle, but I just don't spend money. And so it's a prized possession. And I thought, boy, the last thing that I want to happen is for my dog to chew the seat off of my really nice motorcycle. Because then I would have to replace the seat cover with a very nice brindle-colored leather dog seat cover on my motorcycle. And I like my dog. I'd rather have him as a dog than a seat cover. But that's how angry I would be. And so I built a a stable in my carport out of plywood so that uh, my dog cannot get to it. The only problem is, is I drive it in there, and it's a little bit downhill, and it doesn't have reverse. And so I've got to struggle to get this thing backed up out of there. And I can't really back it in because it's just it's the same kind of struggle as if I were to push it back out. There's no reverse. Choose your direction. And every time that you put yourself in a position, make sure that you are aiming forward. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 27, says that Moses left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. But in Exodus, we read that Moses was afraid and he fled Egypt. So, what's the difference here? Now remember, the writer of Hebrews is writing from hindsight. Remember, it's more clear to understand something if you can see it from hindsight where you know the whole happening and everything that's went on and you have a clear mind and it's not right after the incident. It didn't happen to you. So the writer from Hebrews is able to see the whole big story. If 
you check the cross-reference, you see that this verse is actually referring to Exodus chapter 10 and Exodus chapter 12 when it's talking about after Moses was in the desert for 40 years and after God spoke to Moses in the burning bush. Moses had returned to Egypt per God's instructions to deliver his people from slavery. Moses looked Pharaoh in the face at this point, and he was not afraid because Moses had had an encounter with God himself. When he left Egypt this time, after meeting God face to face, he was not afraid. He looked Pharaoh in the face, and he was not afraid. He was not fleeing from Pharaoh. He was leading his people to meet with their God. He kept his eyes on the one who is invisible, but whose power is more real than the rulers that we can see. When Moses left Egypt this time, he was truly walking by faith and not by sight. There are times when we fail. Like when Moses first tried to to help the Israelites and committed murder in the process. But God doesn't want us to be stuck in our failures. It happens. He doesn't want us to be stuck there. He wants to meet us in our failure, in our desert exile, and teach us and prepare us and send us again in his strength and his power to accomplish his will through us. Look at how Paul says it. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14. He says, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess the that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Praise God that we will be able to look back at our story one day and to see in hindsight how God was faithfully working to fulfill His promises in our life. God knows that we are not perfect. He's not looking for perfection. He's looking for faith. He can take our messes And he can turn them into messages about the power of his son. About Jesus' power to redeem, to restore our lives from slaves to sin, to the freedom of faith that keeps us moving in his direction with our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. I ask you today, to choose. By faith, choose your identity 
in Christ. By faith, choose to suffer for the sake of Christ. And by faith, choose to keep moving forward. Let's pray. Lord God, we're so grateful for the work that you do in us. We're so thankful for what you did in Moses. Lord, we ask that you would now help us to choose these things, God, based on you. You first, God. Help us to seek your kingdom first, to seek your face. Lord, we praise you. ask you for forgiveness. You know we're not perfect, Lord. We realize that we are not perfect, so we have a need for your Son, our Savior. We put our faith and our trust today in you.